The Agile Practice Guide is a great book. And on page 33 of the Agile Practice Guide, we begin to get into the topic of servant leadership. Today, we're going to cover everything in the Agile Practice Guide about servant leadership. And by the time we're done, you're going to be a lot more confident about this topic for your PMP exam. So let's dive straight in. Let's talk about the concept of servant leadership to start with. The typical organization is formed with the C-levels. Right at the top, you've got the CEO, then you have the CIO, CTO, CFOs, all the Cs, and then you have an executive vice president, a senior vice president, a vice president, an acting vice president, a senior director, a director, a manager, an acting manager, a program manager, a project manager, and then you have the worker bees, the worker bees. Now, when you take a look at this structure, tell me, how does someone all the way at the top in the seas, look at someone all the way down here. I mean, take a look at that power differential. That is a huge jump, several layers. Now, the typical question is, how does someone here look up? And the answer is, it depends. It depends on the leader. If you have a servant leader, the way the people at the lower rungs look up is in admiration. It's with good thoughts, good vibes. But when you think about who is closer to the customer, there's a need to reverse this pyramid because the frontline workers, the worker bees, they are the people who are close to the customer. So where does the power lie? Does the power lie with people giving command and control? Or does the power lie with people who are interfacing with the customer? And that's why we turn the pyramid upside down. And in the upside down pyramid approach to leadership, we see customers and clients and then frontline workers and then managers and supervisors and then the topmost of executives. And that is how leadership should be viewed in order to view servant leadership. Frontline workers are the closest to the customer and are extremely important. Top-down leadership is based on position, power flows from the highest level to the lowest, but the bottom-up approach, power flows from below. People can always reject a directive. Contrary to what people think, leadership and management are two different things. Direct, command and control, that's management. Leadership is understanding that people are first and foremost humans, individuals. People will act in their best intent. People can work without supervision. That's a mindset. Entire organizations espouse the theory why mindset, and at the same time, entire organizations espouse theory X, draconian rule, carrot and sticks. But that's not what servant leadership is. Think about the fact that there's a zone of acceptance when you give an order as a manager. When you give an order as someone who is using carrots and sticks, people can decide not to act on that directive. When you give an order, people need to understand the order and they need to believe that the order is consistent with the organization's goals and is compatible with their interests and that they're mentally and physically able. 
So we have a zone of acceptance. Effective leaders ensure directives fall within their subordinate zones of acceptance. Otherwise, resistance and hostility may ensue. I like the example by my mentor, John Maxwell, in his book, The Five Levels of Leadership. He talks about how people will give you just the bare minimum if you are a level one leader, which is the most primitive of all, leading by just authority. At 4.50 p.m., they're tying up their shoelaces, they're putting on their makeup, they're going to the restroom to pee on company time because they will give you the bare minimum. By 5 p.m., the car park is empty, they've checked out. Why? Because people know leaders who are level one leaders, leading just by authority. But a servant leader is different. A servant leader is people-focused. A servant leader gives accessibility of themselves to their people, of herself to her people. A servant leader understands communication is important. A servant leader understands that they are there in that position to support people working with them. Note, I did not say for them. In the mind of a servant leader, people work with them, not for them. Think about that. Communication. Even way back in time, Julius Caesar kept people up to date with handwritten sheets and posters. How do people know they're doing a good job as a leader? When you don't hear criticism over and over again. Go to Glassdoor. Are you thinking about any company and how good their leadership is? Visit Glassdoor. Check it out. So access, communication, and support. Very important for servant leadership. So an approach to leadership that recognizes both the top-down and bottom-up views of authority and that effectively addresses the interdependent nature of the leader-follower condition. That is a servant leader as described in one of my favorite leadership books by Curtis and Manning. Servant leader, a leader who stays in touch with the challenges and problems of others. The term servant leadership was coined by Robert Greenleaf in 1970. We're not talking about inmates running a prison. Some think you cannot serve and lead at the same time, but now we know better. Yes, you can. Once people are clear about their destination, the leader's role shifts to one of service. Greenleaf coined the phrase after reading the book, The Journey to the East by Herman Hesse. Leo the servant guides a group of travelers. Leo helps ensure their well-being and survival and success. And the summary is he ends up becoming the leader of the group. How? By serving selflessly. When Leo was taken out of the equation for a bit, they realized there's no way we can survive without this individual. And he ends up becoming the leader of the group by serving selflessly. A servant leader is a person devoted to others or to a cause or creed. A servant leader advances the interests of others, often at personal sacrifice. The essential components are concern, commitment, and care. Servant leadership is a calling to serve. 
how does one start to serve as a servant leader? Servant leadership starts off with a decision. It starts off with a decision to serve. And that's why as you read page 33 forward, you realize it is all about you asking the question, whether you are in an agile environment, whether you're in a predictive environment, the question is, what can I do to help you do your job more effectively? Or better still, in a scrum world, it could be, what can I do to take the impediments out of your way? It could also be, how do I provide love, safety, and belonging to my team so that they can focus on what they really need to in their world of project management? These are ways that leaders think when they are servant leaders. Servant leadership is very unique. It's very unique to the point that when you talk about agile and the servant leader, they go hand in hand. Let's read a few chapters here, a few paragraphs here. It says, the following characteristic of servant leadership enabled project leaders to become more agile and facilitate the team's success. Promoting self-awareness, listening, serving those on the team, helping people grow, coaching versus controlling, promoting safety, creating that safe space, promoting the energy and intelligence of others. If that doesn't enable agile, what does? So it starts off with a decision, I will serve. The same way Leo in the story became a servant, of the team by leading them through the treacherous terrain as a tour guide, a lowly tour guide, that's how it begins. Deciding, I will serve. So it begins with a feeling of caring about people and wanting to help others. The servant leader is the opposite of the individual motivated by selfish goals, the leader who rules by carrots and sticks, bad theory X behaviors, the greater leader is a servant first. Churchill says, what is the use of living if not to strive for noble causes and to make this model world a better place for those who will live in it after we're gone? Wow. In other words, what is the use of living if we do not become servant leaders to pave the way for those who are coming after us so that it can be better for them. Not about Churchill, but about the people coming after him. Profound quote. I like this quote. My job is to reorganize the department on a moment-to-moment schedule based on customer needs. I am a dispenser of resources. And this is from one of my favorite writers, leadership at a higher level, Ken Blanchard, who has been well known to talk about leadership, servant leadership, coined the situational leadership model with Hersey, Paul Hersey. So Ken says, you finally become an adult when you realize that life is about what you give rather than what you get. And that's a servant leader. So What exactly is servant leadership when we talk about the tenets of servant leadership? 
Let us rapidly cover the tenets of servant leadership. We'll take a look at all 10 of them. Let's start off with the very first one. The very first one is listening. You'll serve people better when you make a deep commitment to listening intently to them and understanding what they are saying. That is listening. Now, there are various ways you can listen. You can listen with your ears, but you can also listen with your eyes. In other words, you're listening to what is not being said by observing those nonverbal cues that do not line up with what is being said. That's how you see what is not being said. To improve your listening skills, give people your full attention, take notice of their body language, don't interrupt them before they finish speaking, and give feedback on what they say. In other words, become a supportive listener. We call this a support response versus a shift response. A support response supports the speaker. A shift response takes attention away from the speaker, and the moment something of affinity is spoken, the poor listener jumps on it and makes it centered around them. That is a shift response, shifting the attention from the speaker to themselves, and that is poor listening. So we want to be supportive in our listening. The second quality here is empathy. Servant leaders strive to understand the feelings and emotions of others. They also strive to understand people's intentions and perspectives. How can we be more empathetic? By putting aside our viewpoint temporarily, valuing others' perspectives, and approaching situations with an open mind. Seek first to understand and then be understood. It's very easy to judge until you know where people are coming from. When you know the story behind that individual who seems to be upset, mad, angry, and perplexed, when you know the story, you have a double take. You realize that there's a reason for their anger. And that is empathy, feeling the emotions of others. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is all about healing. Healing is all about caring about personal well-being of your followers. The characteristic relates to emotional health and wholeness of people. It involves supporting them both physically and mentally. First of all, make sure that your people have knowledge, support, and resources they need to do their jobs effectively, and that they have a healthy workplace, healthy environment, and then take steps to help them be happy and engage in their roles. And now you see why we said agile and servant leadership are a great combination. Let's talk about number four. The fourth one is awareness. When we talk about awareness, we're talking about emotions of yourself and others. Know when to push and when to back up. Be tuned into the environment as well, the political landscape and otherwise. Self-awareness is the ability to look at yourself Think deeply about your emotions and behavior and consider how they affect the people around you and align with your values. You can become more self-aware by knowing your strengths and weaknesses and asking other people for feedback on them. Also, learn to manage your emotions. 
We talk a lot about emotional intelligence on this exam. Emotional intelligence is understanding your emotions, bridling your emotions, getting them under control, and being able to influence the emotions of others. Always consider how your actions and behavior may affect others for good and for bad. The next one, number five, is persuasion. Servant leaders use persuasion rather than the authority to encourage people to take action. They also aim to build consensus in groups so that everyone supports decisions. There are tools and models that you can use to be more persuasive. You know, in the world of Agile, we talk about Jim Highsmith's decision spectrum. We talk about dot voting. We talk about fist of five and things like that. And the reason is to seek consensus, to give everyone a chance to be heard. There are many tools that you can use to be persuasive without damaging relationships or taking advantage of others. You should also build your expert power when you are perceived as an expert. They are more likely to listen to you when you want to persuade or inspire them. We talk about different power types for this exam. Remember, well, one of them is power of expertise. Let's move on to number six. Number six, conceptualization. Conceptualization is the ability to dream dreams so that you look beyond your present day realities to the bigger picture. If you're a senior leader in your firm, work through and develop a robust organizational strategy. Then whatever level you're at, create mission and vision statements for your team. My team at the Project Leadership Institute, they hear me talk about this all the time. Vision is key, followed by mission. If you have no vision and no mission, how do you know when you've arrived at your goal? How do you know when the strategic objectives of the organization have been met? So have a vision, have a mission. Whatever level you're at, start right there. You've got a vision to get certified, write it down. What next? How are you going to get to your vision? What are the missions that will get you to your vision? So when I take a look at conceptualization, I think about vision casting. I think about the ability to cast vision. I think about the ability to cast vision for others to understand what is being said. We all heard it, but you as a servant leader got it best and you do your very best to cast that for others. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is foresight. Foresight is the ability to predict the future based on the past and the present. That is when you can predict what is likely to happen in the future by learning from past experiences. The great Jack Welch, he will say, go with your gut. There are many ways that foresight can be developed. It's identifying what is happening now and understanding the consequences of your decision. Now, to get more technical with it, you could use tools like a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. You could use things like scenario analysis or pest analysis. We have many models for you to look at trends and what could possibly happen. We talk about VUCA and PESL and TCOP, all in the PEMBOK guide. Let's talk about the next tenet, number eight, and that is stewardship. 
Stewardship is about taking responsibility for the actions and performance of your team and being accountable for the role team members play in your organization. So think about it like this. As a steward, I'm a custodian in charge of the resources entrusted to me. I must care for the people and resources that I am leading. Whether you are a formal leader or not, you have a responsibility for things that happen in your company. So take time to think about your own values as well as those of your organization so that you know and you know what you will stand for and what you want. Lead by example by demonstrating the values and behaviors that you want to see in others and have the confidence to stand up to people when they act in a way that isn't aligned with them. We also talk about this in an agile perspective as courage. Stewards need courage to call out what is not in alignment with organizational principles. Number nine, commitment to growth. Here, we're talking about commitment to the growth of people on the team, and it's not for selfish reasons. We're talking about being committed to the growth of others, not because we want them to do a good job on the project, but instead, we develop them because we truly care. To develop your people, make sure you use the training needs assessment. We could call it team performance assessment as well, whatever you want to spin it as, but make sure you have an assessment of needs. Understand what their real needs are and give them the skills that they need to get the job done effectively. This is in line with the Agile Manifesto. Also find out what their personal goals are and see if you can give them projects or additional responsibilities that will help them achieve these. I'll never forget my manager when I was at Citigroup. He said, Phil, you want to go to college? I'm going to let you do it. Just don't let the department sink. I was leading the archiving department back then. He had confidence I wouldn't let it sink. So he let me study during the daytime, come back in at night, tidy up after my master's degree training, show up the next day. But he gave me the chance. Why? He was committed to growth. That is a servant leader. Let's talk about the final one, building community. The last characteristic is to do with building a sense of community, providing a sense of belonging and safety for those on your team. How can you do this? You can do this by providing opportunities for people to interact with one another across the company. Think about social events, lunches, barbecues, design your workplace to encourage people to chat informally. Now, I know there's COVID and a lot of folks aren't in the workplace. Yes, I know. But think about other innovative ways that you can make this sense of belonging, sense of community more accentuated in the virtual workspace. Encourage people to take responsibility for their work and remind them that what they do contributes to the success and overall objectives of the organization. Remember, community goes a long way. Remember Maslow's Pyramid? Self-actualization is at the top, but it starts with physiological safety, love and belonging. Love and belonging is important. And love and belonging can be experienced by building community. So when you take a look at these 10 tenets, my friends, these 10 servant leader characteristics, 
these, when practiced, will bring your team a lot of joy. All of these can be studied a lot more by opening up your Agile Practice Guide and just going through top of the waves here. Let's read page 34. Servant leaders manage relationships to build communication and coordination within the team and across the organization. When we talk about communication, we're talking about community as well. It's for a reason. What is the difference between a servant leader versus a self-servant leader? Servant leaders see the future, they engage and develop people, they reinvent continuously, they value results and relationships, and they embody the values. In other words, a servant leader empowers the team. Agile approaches emphasize servant leadership as a way to empower the team, facilitate the team's discovery and definition of agile as a servant leader, and understand that servant leaders practice and radiate agile. The work order espoused in the Agile Practice Guide is one of purpose first, then people before process. Purpose, why are we doing this? What is the goal? People, encourage a team environment where all succeed, ask for contribution, and then think process. But remember, no agile process is perfect. Cross-functional teams deliver finished value and reflect on the product and process, so it's work in progress. The Agile Servant Leader, according to the Agile Practice Guide, promotes self-awareness, involved in listening, serving, helping grow, coaching versus controlling, promote safety, respect and trust, and promote the energy and intelligence of others. All of this great stuff, you can find it right here in your Agile Practice Guide, page 33 forward. These are talked about from an Agile lens. Servant leaders manage relationships, they build communication and coordination, and these relationships help leaders navigate the organization to support the team. Servant leaders should think of moving from managing coordination to facilitating collaboration. It's very easy to fall into bad habits when you're in a company that promotes carrots and sticks and Fury X, but rather than manage coordination, facilitate people collaborating, self-organizing team, ask the team what they think, let them make up their own minds. They are capable. In the world of Agile, we often say the team knows what they're doing. And we need to believe that. Encourage team participation. Encourage collaboration by interaction in meetings. Help everyone to do what they need to do the best way possible. And be an impartial bridge builder. Servant leaders remove organizational impediments. Individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Remember that. Servant leaders remove any barriers that people experience to doing their jobs. Other servant leader roles are paving the way for others' contribution, educating stakeholders about why and how to be agile, supporting teams through mentoring, encouraging, and support, helping the team with technical project management activities, and celebrating team success. Quick trivia. 
servant leader. This is a word coined by who? Originating from the works of Dash, servant leadership is a paradoxical approach to leadership that challenges our traditional beliefs about leadership and influence. What do you think the answer to this is? All right. The answer to this question is Greenleaf, Robert Greenleaf. All right, let's move on. Servant leadership emphasizes that leaders should be aware to the needs of their followers, empower them, and help them develop their full human capacities. Is that true or false? Yes, it is true. Which of the following is consistent with the definition of servant leadership? Okay, now you've got to be careful with A. <laughs> you've got to be careful with B. The best one, leading in ways that serves the greater good of followers, the organization, the community, and society at large. Which novel is the idea of servant leadership based upon? This one. I'm going to ask you to rewind the video and get the answer because I did mention this. Okay, it's not to the west, <laughs> it's to the east. Okay, remember I told you in the very beginning when Robert Greenleaf put this together in his essays, he coined this as a result of the book, The Journey to the East. And that's why that is the answer. Just a couple more. Which is not one of the 10 characteristics of servant leadership? Okay, you can probably guess the answer is B, it's sympathy. We didn't talk about that. There's a difference between feeling sorry for someone and caring for someone and feeling their emotions. There's a difference. All right, one more. Which terms refers to an individual's ability to be a visionary for an organization, providing a clear sense of its goal and direction? Okay, I'm going to give you a reminder about this one. So remember, in our map, we talked about casting a vision. You got it. The answer is conceptualization. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this. I hope it adds some value to you as you prepare for your exam and helps you to really internalize this. For those of you who are already certified, remember we've got the Project Leadership Institute. Go to projectleadershipinstitute.com. That's where we talk about all things leadership. That's where we guide people after they get certified to get to their definite chief aims. Thank you very much for joining me. Don't forget, read up your Agile practice guide and all the very best on the exam and your project management. Bye for now.